any age who is at high risk for developing breast cancer, talk to your doctor about when you should start annual mammograms. Ask about genetic screening and other strategies that may reduce your risk of developing breast cancer. For more information about mammography and breast cancer disease, screening, and treatment, visit radiologyinfo.org. That's radiologyinfo, one word, dot O-R-G. This health reminder is from the Radiological Society of North America. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your attorney, accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor prior to investing. This show contains forward-looking statements that may not come true. Securities Investment Advisory Services offered through Grove Point Financial, member FINRA SIPC, Grove Point Financial, and Kelch Associates are unaffiliated companies. And folks, this program is intended for Wisconsin residents only. Well, good morning and welcome to Saturday in the studio. I'm Tom King, joined in the studio today by Merle Kelch, Kelch and Associates in Wausau, and he's here to take your financial questions. 715-845-2155, the number to call. Good morning, sir. Well, good morning, Tom. Good morning, everybody. We are here in this beautiful day. I'm nearly awake. Uh, folks, we have a, as my wife calls it, a fresh grandson. So uh, he spent the night last night and has to eat every three hours. And well, here I am. Don't you have to eat every three hours? Well, yeah, it's just to maintain <laughs> so this work, beautiful it, physique. It, it works <laughs> out. <laughs> Snacks in the middle of the night. Yeah, uh, well, uh, we eat different things, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, all right. Hey, um, another roller coaster week for the markets. They were down and then a big uh, comeback and then down again on Friday. Uh, I guess the whipsaw effect continues that we've talked about many times here on the program. Oh, yeah. So this week was just particularly crazy. First of all, the... the if we look at it, we've had people coming and saying, how much farther can a Dow come down? It's, I don't know the answer to that, but I'm simply saying from history standpoint, we seem to keep bouncing around this 29,000 mark in the Dow for lows. The third time then it was back up over 30 for a while and then down again yesterday. Yeah, it went down. And so what, what happens then in here is you'll have large fund managers, institutional managers, not you and I as investors, Tom, and they'll put hedges in there. So they'll put hedges so the market comes down, they're not going to lose as much, or they make some money on the other end. So as a result of that, then, when the stock market, they have these hedges betting, they're called short sales. And when you hear people are buying shorts or uh, that kind of stuff in the market, that doesn't mean they're getting ready for the Caribbean. Uh, that means they're covering short sales because they're expecting or thinking that the market would drop, then the market went back up, and they have to go in and start buying a bunch of stock to make sure they're not losing their uh, shorts. So, so with that, we saw the market. In fact, uh, Thursday morning is probably a little bit before 6. Nobody likes those people, by the way. It's like uh, being on the craps table and the people that are betting the no-pass line, betting against uh, the guy who's well, shaking the dice. Nobody likes that. It's, it's a necessary thing. So it's all part of the, the, the yin and the yang, the good and the bad, the up, the down, all things. So so I was up probably about quarter to 6, maybe 6 o'clock in the morning. I'm looking at the market. It's going to be up 200. I'm like, oh, that's kind of nice. And all of a sudden, the CPI report comes out. And the futures went from 200 up to 450 down in a snap. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a great day. So we're talking in our office back and forth, what to watch for, you know, this person calls, that type of thing. Stock market goes down 500 points at the open. We're like, oh, great, this is wonderful. I get in the office and we see it just start climbing the whole day and ending up at 800. I'm like, wonderful, this is great. So I had to look at what was going on. We want to take this call? Yeah, why don't, we, why don't we do that? Let's go to the phone here this morning. Good morning. Who are we talking to? Morning. Morning. Go ahead. Morning. My on? You're on. Go you're ahead. on. Hello. Yeah, you're on. Go ahead. Yes. Uh, I, uh, I've i never dabbed into uh, options. Could you give me a little brief on uh, 
if you should be a pretty expert or can an amateur start dabbling in nonsense. All right, you're, you're kind of breaking up, but thanks for the call. Yeah, quite honestly, um, and I didn't catch your name, sir, but if you're an amateur and you're going to dabble in options, my suggestion would be is go to the casino. It's probably about the same odds. That's about all I got. Mm. You know, options can do really, really well if you know what you're doing. If you don't know what you're doing, you can really get stuck because there's all kinds of things that happen in options. Um, you can, uh, you know, buy an option for a small amount of money and lose a big amount if you do it wrong. If you do it wrong, you actually have the potential for having unlimited loss. So I, my, my recommendations for somebody who wants to dabble in options, and this comes from my investment professor back in college. I remember it fondly. He said, have you ever do options? He said, play with it on paper for a year first. If you make money, then go into options. If not, don't do it. And, and what's interesting about this is most of the people who are considered uh, licensed brokers in dealing options, they don't know what they're doing either. You know, uh, for, you know it, I, I've been in this business for 34 years. I have license to do options, and guess what? I don't do them for clients because I don't do them enough uh, that I wouldn't do them without a mistake. I can admit that. And so we've seen people, local guys, that have tried stuff with options with clients and screwed them up and lost clients' money enormously uh, over the course of a quarter, and these reps got sued. You know, I've I, I watched it happen. And, and so options, good stuff. But only if you know what you're doing, and there's not a lot of people locally that how know do what you're doing. How do you become an expert then, uh, expert enough to uh, to work in them? I mean, are there classes? Are there? Uh, do you go to school? I mean, or is it just uh, the school of hard knocks? Do you learn by doing? Do you you kind of learn by doing, but typically have somebody that you mentor over. When you have options guys uh, that have been doing it for a long time, they've been mentored by guys who've been doing this stuff for 20, 30, 40 years, and that's all they're doing is options tradings. You know, if you remember Barring's Bank, if you remember that, uh, English Bank, um, they were broke overnight because they had some 20-something-year-old guy, guy brought, bro- yeah, brought, that, brought that down did, a bank uh, that had been around for uh, you know hundreds of years. Yeah, did some currency options overnight, lost 450 I think it was billion with a B at that time, a um, uh, million dollars overnight. So, you know, when you go through, you get your uh, Series 7, your general securities licensing, um, you get it, and they you have to learn how to do you know, various things like straddles and this kind of stuff and options. I mean, it's part of it. You have to do that part of it. But it's like anything else. If you're not doing it every day, you're going to miss all the fine points and the small tricks in doing it. Um, and, and generally, people aren't out there doing it. If you're an amateur, you're learning how to do it, do it on paper for a year and see if you've made any money. But don't put hard, pay, uh, hard money to it. It's different. Um, you know, options, and then you can mix futures and options together within the commodities marketplace. And this is that same investment professor, and I love this, uh, this uh, analogy. And so here's, folks, my investment professor. So he comes in a class, he goes, man, did I screw up the other day? So why is that, you know, why is it, we're as a class, we're asking, why is that? He said, well, he said, I bought some uh, options on the futures of some pork bellies. And uh, I forgot to close them out. And so he said, now I have a train load of pork bellies coming that I had to buy. Which, of course, the, the contracts at that point were $194,000. So he had to pay for it. He had to buy it. Um, and then he had to figure out, what am I going to do with a train load full of pork bellies? So they just sent it to your house? Uh, well, he has to arrange delivery. Crates, you know, of, crates of, of pork bellies? Yeah, well, fortunately, he found spoil. somebody who sold it, and he did not make any money when he sold it because, of course, it was at a discount because he had to sell it quick. So, so again, play that stuff on paper um, ahead of time and hope. I hope this uh, message finds you.
All right. One of the other uh, things that we've been seeing a lot of and hearing a lot about, I don't know if you listen to this radio station, there are network ads that we have to run for some of the shows that we preempt for sports and things like that. And uh, the network, some of the networks, as we're running, are for gold ETFs. And they're mm-hmm. suggesting that you need to invest in a gold ETF in order to beat inflation. Um, is, that a, is that a plan? Is that something that you would look at? And what are, are all gold ETFs the same or are, are some better than others? Um, great questions. And you asked 10 of them. You don't, you don't, you well, that good. Not, That'll take the next 15 minutes. It'll Go take ahead. the next 15 minutes. Um, well, first of all, you know, gold has gold and oil have been the traditional hedges against inflation. Um, we could make an argument that oil has been, except oil ran up, oil came back again. It's coming up a little bit more. Um, so oil hasn't worked as much as inflation, as much as the oil companies have. Um, so in here, gold um, it hasn't really done much compared to the past years when it became an inflationary, uh, when it was a, a, a instrument against inflation. But I mean, that's been the historic thing. Um, uh, people like to say, society likes to say, investment world likes to say that, you know, when things start getting uncertain, you buy gold. Now, you know, we can make that conversation, whether it's accurate or not, at some point in time in the future. And so the best way to buy gold then, in my opinion, is using an ETF. Now, that said, the reason for it is this, as we've said so many times in this program, is that if you want to go buy an ounce of gold, um, you're going to pay whatever the spot price is, and I'm going to make up a number and say it's 1800. I don't think we're far off. So if the price of gold is 1800, you're not buying it for 1800. You're going to buy it for like 2200, because you have to pay a premium over what the the price is that it's selling for. Why? Uh, that's the nature of the beast. That's the profit built into buying and selling the gold. Now the beautiful part is, if it's 1800, you want to sell it. Guess how much you get? You know, like 1500, because there's a discount when you sell it. So when you buy physical bullion of gold, you have to make, in many instances, 20 or 30% before yeah. you're covering the cost and making a little bit of money. You know, you've, you've said that numerous times here on the program, <laughs> and I still don't understand how that works. You say that if you buy gold, you're buying it for more than its price. You have to pay a premium for the price. So yeah. if you're selling it, why don't you get that profit? Why do you have to sell it at a discount? Because you have to sell it as a discount. Whoever's going to buy it is not going to give you the gold price. Because that's what they're going to have to get for it. This it, is like a used car dealership. It really doesn't sound so. Now, hence the right. reason I say that if you're going to buy gold, buy it in an ETF, uh, because your price is set and you can buy it and sell it like a stock without that huge premium or that huge discount. Now, from when I did this in college, my roommate in college was uh, his father was in a gold, gold coin jewelry type of business. Um, and so, uh, I, you know, we knew what the spreads were, and the spreads were a lot higher than the other thing. They've actually come together a bit more between your premium and discount. But in an ETF, it, it trades like a stock. Now, um, you ask the question again, um, are all ETFs the same? Absolutely not. So when ETFs for gold or silver or platinum or wherever, when they first started coming out, somebody said, well, we're going to take uh, um, 100,000 ounces of gold. And uh, we're going to take the price, we're going to divide it up by the shares, and that's how much the shares are. We're going to have the price of the shares based upon the up or down for the, the price of the gold. Um, fantastic. Well, somebody else then came along and said, well, we're going to have an ETF that has maybe half as much gold, but then we're going to buy gold futures with the other half. You see my point. Then the next person comes and says, well, we'll have a little bit of gold futures, we'll have some gold, but then we're going to buy the gold stocks or the gold mining company stocks and put that in our ETF. So the ETFs are not the same. And as I say so many times on here, if you look for ETFs, you have to buy an ETF that you know what's inside of it. 
So, so in these inflationary times that we're in, what kind of an ETF do you want? Well, I would I would look for the ones that just simply have the, the gold. So you're buying a share of the actual pot of gold that this company that's holding ETF is holding. So are you going to pay something for that? Certainly. The ETF is going to take anywhere between 10 to 60 basis points, you know, 0.1 to 0.6%. Um, they're going to take that for a fee, of course, not only for their overhead and staff and management, but holding the physical gold and that kind of stuff. Um, um, but it trades instantly, and that fee is a lot less than if you're doing the traditional buying uh, at a premium and selling at a discount stuff if you want to hold the actual bullion. So a lot of people get around, you know, for, don't think about that stuff. But if you're going to buy the ETF, you just don't buy one. You don't go in the paper, folks. You do not go and look and say, well, which one had the best rate of return? No, 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 don't do that. Look for the one that you know what's on the inside and it's consistent with what you want to do. And if you have questions about that, contact your financial professional. Now, you had said something about <clears throat> oil, uh, oil and gas, and I got to share this story with a, from a client this past week. He gives me a call and he says, with oil and gas going on, he said, I want to buy an ETF. Um, uh, he said, but I don't want to have something natural gas. Okay, so we're doing some work and research for him. And so, you know, the first thing you pop up, you just go into the system like anybody else and say, you know, oil and gas ETFs, and it pops up, and it comes up and says top 30. So look at the top 30, and they all have different names, but it's all sponsored by the same company. And every single one of them was an oil and gas derivative. So they were buying a futures contract into the future. I'm looking at this going, geez, we don't want this. And that was the top 30 that popped up on the sponsored ads that popped up. As far as what was inside of them, I look at this going, Jesus, marketing has gotten into the middle of all this too. Um, and, and worse than I've ever seen it before. So what we were looking to find, um, and again, folks, this is not a recommendation to go out. This is what we did for our client. I'm just sharing with you the story. Contact your financial professional. So it took work for us then to find a ETF that had a collection of oil and gas stocks on the inside. So rather than buying a dozen or two dozen oil and gas stocks, we'd buy the ETF. and It'd be easier for us to manage up and down with the oil and gas going up uh, per his request. And so we actually found a couple, but boy, there were a whole bunch that a company was just collecting a fee to buy an oil and stock derivative uh, going out in the future. Just amazing to me how this happens. All right, 715-845-2155 is the number to call. If you have a question for Merle, give us a call. We'll be right back on WSAU. Chris Domine is a husband and a father. Chris is an athlete. Chris is even an Iron Man. But 10 years ago, Chris was facing a very different story because his kidneys were failing. Basically, the doctor said, prediabetes.org today. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. The nightmares of news. The truth is scary. Yeah, actually quite frightening. And the horrors oh from the headlines. You wake up every day and something else has happened and you can't believe what has happened. Hear about it. We're in a police state and it's scary. Talk about it. Critical race theory being taught in our schools is scary. That's, I just, it's just, it's pathetic. A party of hypocrisy with no credibility. We're living in a nightmare. It's unbelievable, these people. News Talk, WSAU. And we're back here in the studio. I'm Tom King, Merle Kelch, Kelch and Associates in Wausau. You wanted to dive into bond prices and bond uh, interest rates because there's something going on with that. Yeah, there's, there's some interesting things that are out there, folks. Um, and, and, and I wanted three minute stations, three minutes. Hopefully, to give you uh, some sort of a lemonade you can make out of some lemons as we finally get to this. So, article by Mark Holbert says it turns out that bonds may be a riskier investment right now than stocks. 
And usually when you read an article like this, you go, what? Bonds are supposed to be the safety net for America. How they do in my accent? Bad? Not good? Something like that? All right. So anyway, uh, if we take a look at portfolios, like a 60-40 portfolio, 60 equity, 40 bonds, it's supposed to be the you know cure-all for the world, and we should all have that. And no matter what, we should have it because it's the best for retirement. And guess what? That mix right now is getting slaughtered across the marketplace. Now, uh, the reason for that, of course, we all know that the stock market is down, and, and typically the 60% the stock, the sixty part, um, the stock market is largely uh, Dow stocks, and you have some S&Ps and, and so forth in there, and they're down. The other part of that, the other 40% is the bond, the bond marketplace. And um, we're sitting at looking at the Vanguard long-term treasury, and again, this is per the article, is sitting at more than a 30-year uh, year-to-date loss uh, versus a total loss of the S&P 500, which was down 23%. So why is that? Well, we sat at multi-year lows of interest rates uh, sitting at, uh, you know, near 3%, I'm sorry, near 0% uh, and up to as much as 3% for many, many years. So that took bond prices and long-term bonds that have been out there and made them overpriced. So they had a premium to them if you want to buy them. Um, and of course, that premium could have was anywhere between 8 to 10 to 20 to 17%. Uh, percent. So that being said, when the interest rates went up, the bond prices were going to come down. With the interest rates coming up so dramatically, it took all those bond prices and just shelled them. And that's exactly what's been happening. And so that has been putting a lot more fear into the marketplace, I think, than the stock market. And why, you might ask, and that's because the bond marketplace is an estimated at six times larger than the stock market. We don't see it. So a lot of money is being held in debt throughout the course of the um, uh, economy. And that just got shelled, too. So that said, um, I want to touch base on something that we've done in our office. You can't do it for everybody, but you have to look at it and see if it might be right for you and contact your financial professional in doing so. All right, before you dive into that, we're going to take a quick break for some news, and we'll come back, and you can tell us all about that. We'll do that when we come back here on WSAU. Hey, wouldn't it be great if life came with a remote control? You know, you could hit pause when you needed to or hit rewind. Like that time you knocked down that wasp's nest. Uh-oh. Or that time you forgot to roll up your windows in the car wash. Fantastic. Yeah, a remote control would have come in handy then. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome. But pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes like managing your weight, getting active, stopping smoking, and eating healthier... You can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. It's easy to learn your risk. Take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Life doesn't come with a remote control. So you're on your own with the wasps. You have the power to take control of pre-diabetes. Visit doihaveprediabetes.org today. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. I'm Tom King, WSAU News. The U.S. and its allies are putting a cap on the price of Russian oil. Putin's decision to wage... It's TravisMannion.org. You took the first step and quit smoking, but even former smokers may still be at risk for lung cancer. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know about a new low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early. It takes only 60 seconds and could save your life. You took the first step, now take the next. Visit SaveByTheScan.org for a simple quiz to see if you're eligible and talk to your doctor about screening. 
SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your attorney, accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor prior to investing. This show contains forward-looking statements that may not come true. Securities Investment Advisory Services offered through Grove Point Financial, member FINRA SIPC, Grove Point Financial, and Kelch & Associates are unaffiliated companies. And folks, this program is intended for Wisconsin residents only. And we're back in the studio. I'm Tom King, Merle Kelch, Kelch & Associates. Before the break, you had a plan to deal with the situation with bonds right now. Yeah, well, you know, rising interest rate inside of bonds are happening. I'll just recap that. So with interest rates going up, bond prices are dropping, and right now they're getting shelled. And, folks, we went through an article by Mark Holbert that talked about how bond prices um, are minus 30%. Matter of fact, uh, some of the lowest they've been since 1949 as far as bond prices going down. So we look at that. Bond prices are supposed to be our big conservative savior and everything, but they're getting shelled because of the interest rates. Now, I contend that we're going to be at some point in time here in the next several months where bonds are going to be the thing we want to buy with fresh new money going in because we can buy a good quality set of bonds. are going to provide us a nice yield of interest rates. Um, and we don't have any stock market left over involved in it. So uh, that'll come, but it's just not there yet. And, and the worst part of this is if you have bond mutual funds because they're getting shelled and there's no place to go afterwards. We can't hold the bonds until maturity. And that's, folks, folks, without getting into the function of how a bond mechanically how it mechanically works. So the reason I say this now is that <clears throat> we're noticing inside of the annuity marketplace, with annuities coming into us, um, annuities that we have within our, our clients and that whole bit, um, a lot of annuities that are written out there have what's called a guaranteed minimum withdrawal benefit. Now, that's the generic term of it. That's a guaranteed income stream that's based upon some sort of a high watermark they call a protected value. And the reason I'm not giving you one name is because every company has their double secret name for this process. You know, some of it call it the enhancer, the enticer, the eliminator, the stabber. I mean, they all got a name, it seems, for, uh, for their guaranteed income stream. But what's happened about this or what's happened with it is that, one, inside of the portfolios of the bonds, the bond prices have dropped down pretty good. Um, and it doesn't matter where you go and which bonds that they are. They've dropped down pretty good if they're in a variable arena. So if they have a variable annuity that's dropped down in value and price, your income is still guaranteed, but now the values are down considerably. So we look at and say, are there some lemonade that can be made from that? And the answer is yes, there can be. Again, can be, not everybody, but for some people, the new part of the world is that the interest rates have gone up. So with the interest rates going up, a number of companies have it. So the interest rates go up, the expenses come down. And also the guaranteed interest rates that they're going to give going into the future with the new versions, new evolutions of this GMWB, Guaranteed Minimum Withdrawal Benefit, have actually gone up. And so for a number of people, you can actually take the old money, even though it's still down, go into the new product and actually have an income increase because of the lesser expenses, higher interest rates being credited, um, get a higher income. And at the same time, you're transferring it over into a new one and adjust the basis. When the markets go back up again, you get a second raise coming up. Why would you? Why would companies do that? Uh, you know, we've always heard there's, there's no free lunch. Uh, there's, you're not getting something for nothing. Why mm -hmm. would companies do yeah. that? Well, it, it has nothing to do with why would companies do that. It has what happened to expenses. When these original contracts were done, they were done years ago, and expenses and commissions are considerably higher than they are now. So their internal expenses, percent, percent and a half higher, we've seen certain companies. So as interest rates have come up recently, the newer contracts, they pay a higher interest rate 
uh, not only the monies that you and I have, Tom, but they're also the reserves they have to hold for this contract, but the expenses have dropped down. So it's not that the insurance industry is doing anything to give us a free lunch. Um, by going from one place to another, it actually drops our expenses, essentially, as individuals, and we have the ability to use that cost to give us better things going into the future. Um, the old insurance companies don't want the older contracts either because it costs them so much money in reserves and having to guarantee those contracts, they'd rather have you and I have a new one too. And so the math works out on a number of these. And again, talk with your financial professional to see if this might be available to you. In a number of instances with this, Tom, we actually went from company A and went to company A. And uh, they looked at us, so why do you want to do that? I said, look at the math of it. I said, all we're doing is upgrading the contract. I'm like, oh, good idea. Okay. And so it's the same company. We just moved it from old evolution to new evolution, and it turned out better for the company and the client and expenses all the way around. It would seem the fine print would suggest that you can't do that, but apparently you can. Well, it's all about money and expenses. You know, if you're paying a, you know, total expenses of 3 or 3.5% and, and you drop it down to 2 it makes a difference over the long term of the contract. For you, but the company's going to no, lose. No, it's, it's, it's the company that doesn't. Uh, the company wins, the client wins, the rep, well, the rep actually doesn't because the commissions aren't the same. <laughs> How often um, does but, that work where the company wins and the client wins? Um, it's one of the rare times, but it's happening right now. You know, for lack of a better term, I'm going to call them the old legacy contracts, the ones from you know, 2006 to 2010, something like that. The expenses in them were kind of high. I mean, they were, they were up there at that point in time. Uh, but they've changed now in, in probably the last two years to three years. The interest rates have gone up and the expenses have dropped down. So if the client saves on expenses, the company saves on expenses, they both win. Now, back in the old legacy days, some of those contracts paid a 7 and 8% commission. I mean, they were high. Um, and today they're, you know, two. So the people who take it in the shorts are guys like me. But you take care of the client, the rest of it works out. All right, 715-845-2155, the number to call here. If you have a question for Merle, give us a call, uh, and uh, we can discuss it. Uh, anything that's on your mind regarding your portfolio, with the interest rate uh, situation the way it is and inflation the way it is, how about people's 401Ks and, and maybe people who haven't uh, adjusted them recently? Um, is this a time when there should be adjustments being made uh, to your 401K uh split the pie chart that you get in your month in your quarterly statement yes no um we've only had one of our clients at this point in time that said i can't take it anymore i can't sleep uh let's make adjustments we got to pull out we gotta do something different so so which is good so hopefully your financial professional is giving you education as far as what's going on to try to make an informed decision what to do the worst thing we can do are knee-jerk reactions um you know, I'll tell people, okay, so if you're down 20%, and by the way, you probably are, folks. If you're in a 401k or a marketplace, you're probably down 21%. 20%. So if you're down 20% right now, do you just pull it all back out and then wait for a Thursday to happen when we go up by 4%? Now you're just not in the 4% either. You know, when the stock market goes up 20%, you're out of the marketplace. Now you're down 20 plus you didn't make the 30 going, 20 so, going I mean, up. Do you, just, you know, so, do you just leave it with the same pie splits all the time You then? just have to make sure your pie is right. That's the biggest thing. You know, um, we've said for a long time in this program that I've never been a big fan of what's called target funds. You know, a target fund, for example, has a pre-described um, uh, percentage that they're going to have as you get older. So as we get closer to retirement, they keep adding more and more money inside of bonds. Boy, for the last 10 years, folks, I've been preaching to people and say, stay out of the target funds because interest rates are going to go up only because they were so low. 
And as you get closer to retirement, a good chunk of that portfolio is a time bomb because every time the interest rates go up, that part of it is going to keep coming down in value. Guess what? It's happening right now as we speak. So, so I've never been a fan of that. And so we want to make sure that we're diversified and we have all the components inside the portfolio. As difficult as it is to, to hurt and to swallow, we want to make sure our equity portion of the portfolio, and hear me closely when I'm saying our equity portion, um, has small and medium and large and growth and value and international. It's got all the components because you need that whole basket to give you that best return, least amount of risk. How do you find that? Well, research modern portfolio theory. You can look at um, uh, uh, Morningstar and all these kind of stuff too. Okay, so so hang in there. There actually is a thing in that if you really want to look at it. Um, uh, there are people, though, that just say, they, they just throw the stuff on your desk and say, do it, take care of it. Certainly, and, and we, we're happy to have people do that. Now, some people want a certain mix of stocks, a certain mix of bonds, and that kind of stuff, and that's a whole different thing. But the equity portion of it, at least, we have to make sure our mix is right. If we have everything sitting 100% inside of a dollar large-cap contract, now we're missing all the growth potential that's happening inside of a small and a mid-sized contract. If we have everything inside of the U.S., we're missing a growth potential that might be having in the international marketplace. So we have to have that whole mix, and it's all based upon, again, modern portfolio theory, a whole bunch of smart guys, Nobel Prizes. So we have to make sure that our portfolio has got the right mix to it, not because we're going to save anything coming down. That's already happened, let's face it, folks. But we have to look ahead what's going to happen in one, two, three, five years going forward. We have to make sure we have the best boat available when the tide comes back up again. You start, you talked about international. We haven't talked about that in a little while. I mean, with all of the turmoil in the world in various places, what what's the international market doing these days? And how do you uh, decide that if it's it's a good place to be or where do you want to be with your yeah. investments as far as international stuff? Well, at goes? the moment, it looks like ours. You know, it's uh, it's going crazy as well. Um, countries around the world gave out all kinds of free cash and free money for the pandemic. And again, I'm not saying it's good, bad, or indifferent, but the effect of it was inflation. Um, you know, I think we had to give some money. We didn't know what was going to happen. We had to make sure people could still stay alive and the lights on, that kind of stuff. I get it. I think we gave out too much, but nonetheless, that's and that problem's happened across the globe. But that happened. That, that, that happened two years ago. Yeah, but it's 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 it's, it's one of those. How is things that affecting that, what's happening now? That's exactly what's happening right now. Is, how, is but how? I mean, it happened two years ago. That money's long gone. People didn't put that in savings account. They spent it out to pay the light bill, and they spent it to buy food, and they spent it to buy uh, to pay the rent. Um, actually, the record amount of savings happened at that point in time. People put that money away more than you might believe. Um, not everybody, of course, people did use it for those things, but the amount of savings went to a record amount of savings, a record amount of cash floated in the marketplace because people just And yet we're also seeing people's credit card bills go way up. I mean, more and more uh, credit is being used at this point, too. Yeah, um, it's the opposite effect, you know. Um, so, essentially, what happened in a, in a microchasm? Because I know we don't have a lot of time with. It, so, just, let me just let me bear into here. And again, folks, this is floating around in my brain live. So, if there's some other things or it sounds like I yell out different stuff, thanks, Tom. <laughs> um, so, the cash goes inside of the economy, and so we quickly went up to our 1919 levels as far as purchasing goods and services. Uh, we did that with a, a damaged supply chain coming in. We couldn't get all the stuff we wanted to. And then all the additional cash, the additional cash, we bought more than our 2019 levels for widgets, services, whatever it might have been with this damaged supply chain. So if we still wanted to get something, we're just going to pay more for it. And so then that started the drive. Well, then people wouldn't want to go to work originally because we're getting a bunch of unemployment rate. We had some people working, some people had not. People would stay at home. They're collecting extra cash for unemployment. Uh, So then we needed to have jobs. We needed to have people at work. So we started paying more people to come to work. That added to inflation. 
well, um, we weren't really using buying gas because we're all sitting at home. So a lot of refineries went into repair. Um, a lot of them, because the regulation shut down, then all of a sudden we started using gas and oil again and we didn't have the capacity. That added to inflation. So all these things continue to keep adding to the inflation, which drove us to where we were right now. Uh, but it really kind of started out with all the additional cash that was floating around. Again, I understand the reasoning, but that's by what happened. So traditionally, to soak up that cash, you increase interest rates. And that, of course, increasing the interest rates drives inflation down. But, boy, I kept using all kinds of terms. I'm just going to say jack wagons and our news media and government think that you increase interest rates one time and it's going to make it all better. And, folks, they're wrong. Increasing the interest rates, just as we saw inflation come up over the course of a year and a half or two years, um, inflation is going to come down at the same speed. When you increase interest rates one or two times, that first interest rate takes six months to a year to finally settle into the marketplace. So these last couple we've had have had zero, if and, any little effect, except on mortgage rates and at of this course, point in time. And, of course, that will be used as a political bludgeon, uh, to, uh, especially right before an election, saying, how come the inflation rate's not coming down? It's the, whatever they're doing isn't working, blah, 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 blah. Well, if fuel prices would have come down sooner, that would have worked. Um, um, there, there's a couple of articles that came out here from a, um, a number of billionaires that are out there, um, and, and they suggested, and I, and I agreed with this, that if we could have dropped the oil and fuel prices down initially, it probably would have saved us a lot of interest rates going up and probably would have held on to the economy a little bit longer, maybe not even had a recessionary effect. Um, I think that one is, is an issue, and that one, in my opinion, is more – administrative related do we listen to um, what but certainly the interest rates and inflation rate is going to get battled back and forth from a political standpoint do we listen to what billionaires say it would seem to me that uh, billionaires make comments and take positions uh on issues that will help them stay billionaires not what which will help most of the rest of the world or re the rest of the uh, i always look at it because a lot of times billionaires didn't get there because they're uh um, uh, screwballs. No, they did it the old-fashioned way. They inherited it. <laughs> well, a bunch, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to take a break here. We'll come back with more. If you have a question for Merle, give us a call. We'll be right back on WSAU. Now, this day. Here's volatility in the marketplace last week. Um, we actually came up with a positive in the Dow, which we haven't had in a couple of weeks, actually. So, uh, For the week last week, the Dow was up 1.2% while the S&P 500 and NASDAQ, because of the technology part of the world, uh, S&P down 1.6, NASDAQ down 3.1. Again, that volatility jumping up and down uh, with the economy in the marketplace. There was a story this week, uh, you know, we heard a few weeks ago, uh, the uh, chip factories that are being built in Ohio. And now there was a story this week that there's going to be a new uh, car battery plant being built in the Columbus, Ohio area. Obviously, Ohio must be a swing state because they're getting a lot of investment there from uh, different people. But um, uh I guess when you look at that, the, the lithium batteries being built here, the chips being built here, are those companies that make that kind of stuff, Is that are those buy opportunities right now? Um, I hope so because I'm personally buying into them. So I, I hope that they are. Um, you know, I had said for a long time, and this actually goes back into the, the, the prior administration, that um, you know so much stuff was going into China. And this reminds me of, well, we, we're all familiar with uh, Colby and Colby and the shooties and that kind of stuff back in the old days. And at one particular point in time, Colby & Colby supplied shooting manufacturing, and this isn't a story, and it's not a bad thing. Um, Colby & Colby provided some 70 or 80% of the windows to shooting's manufacturing in Wausau Homes. Um, and then when the housing marketplace went down and that whole bit, you know, Colby & Colby sat there going, oh, my God, we don't have money to buy our windows. And so I always remember that lesson and learning that because if you're a manufacturer of a business, you shouldn't be selling all of your stuff to, 
to one place on a continual basis. Uh, we saw the same thing in other of other businesses, and it's the same thing with everything else. We should make sure that we diversify and spread the stuff around, and it goes in multiple locations, so we're not getting stuck with just essentially one source. What about here in the state of Wisconsin as far as the companies, the big companies that we talk about on a regular basis? Are they, they doing pretty well riding this uh, inflation storm out, or do they have problems? I have really heard no real issues. Um, even my friends in the local manufacturing companies that run around town, they're still looking for employers or employees. I mean, they're still looking for people. Um, you know, there's an index guy that's out there, and I read it this morning. I can't think of it, but it's the amount of quitters. And believe it or not, this is actually an economic measurement, folks. So um, in an industry, or I'm sorry, in an economy where it's actually having a recessionary event, the things that really show to a recession that you're looking for is you're seeing that unemployment numbers are jumping up, and they're not. Um, uh, the number of new workers are, are falling off, and, and they're not. Um, companies hiring businesses are falling off dramatically, and it's not. It's just simply not happening yet. So are we in a recession? Probably not. In fact, uh, the estimations of third quarter GDP looks like it's going to be positive. Uh, the estimates between 2.9 to 3.0, which is a pretty good GDP going up as far as economy is still growing. Gee, I hope so. there are some people from this radio station who are listening to that because they believe we are in a recession. <laughs> well, we're not. We're just not. I'm not saying we're not getting there. Um, um, and I, I think we're going to end up having one, but probably next year. But we're not right now. Uh, those showing more and more going that direction. So so that said, one of the measurements they have are quitters. You know, people are just going out and quitting their job. During a recessionary environment, the, the percentage of quitters drops down considerably because people won't quit their job because they don't think they're going to find another one. Uh, and that number hasn't happened. And simply because, uh, Tom, if you and I uh, you know, quit our job, we could find a job doing something in a matter of a couple of days or a couple of weeks. Yeah. I, well, I, maybe we'll milk unemployment <laughs> out for a month or something. But, you know, uh, yeah. but I mean, the jobs are out there. And so, so, so that said, um, you know, the economic numbers uh, of quitters um, also shows that we're not in a recession. We're still having some growth. Not yet, but interest rates continue to keep going up. It's going to have an effect. We're going to slow down. Um, uh, COOs were, I'm sorry, CEOs were polled for next year. It was some ridiculous amount. I don't have the article in front of me, but I want to say it was some 90%, Tom, that we're planning that we're going to have a recession next year. How many times is the Fed going to uh, raise interest rates again in order before, before we start seeing the slow bounce down to where we need to be? Don't know. Um, Economists poll November will see 75 basis points and December the polling at this point in time is we'll see at 50 basis points in December, maybe 75. We don't go too much. Um, I don't think I've read anything that's shoved us into 23 yet as far as looking at the probabilities. It's really going to be based upon what happens with, um, uh, with M2 money supply, which we've talked about and inflation. What's going to happen with that is the, the what's going to happen with interest rates. So this term pivot, I still, cracks me up because in 30 some years in this business tom i finally heard the term pivot this year so uh, i take say it tongue in cheek but eventually the federal reserve starts reducing interest rates to bring us back out of a recessionary event the federal reserve wants us to have a slowdown slash recessionary event to kill inflation but then they want us to have go back to growth again all right well we're out of time for today if folks want to get hold of you on monday how can they do that stop in visit us on third avenue and bridge street here in lovely wasa wisconsin you can give us a call locally, 715-849-3600. Toll free outside of the Wassa area at 866-355-5100 or find us online 
at KelchAssociates.com. All right, we'll talk to you again down the road. Merle Kelch, Kelch and Associates in Wausau. We've got the news. The Polka Show is on the way. Badger football this afternoon. The Badgers in Michigan State pregame show right here at 1 o'clock on WSAU. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to kill?